Hey, everybody. It's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. And over there, Steve. Repent. And today we are continuing our read-through of Sycorax's Daughters, uh, an anthology of dark fiction by African-American women. Continuing our double hit of February's um, Black History and Women in Horror Month. Mm-hmm. Although nobody's probably going to listen to this because of Black Panther. That's true. We're just going to jump right into it. Uh, yeah. First story on the list is How to Speak to the Bogeyman by Carol McDonald. Okay. This is the, uh, <laughs> this is the tale of uh, a man who is spiritually empowered as an exorcist. Yeah, he gets a telephone call from a friend of his who he buried, what, like two days before? Yeah, something like that. It was a very recent funeral. And uh, it freaks him out enough that he um, becomes an exorcist. He, he mm-hmm. learns how to how to uh, control portals. Mm-hmm. To the spirit world. Yes. And is able to exorcise demons because of that. And he, I guess he gets like a a pretty good reputation as an, as an exorcist. Yep. And then, and then the story jumps over to another fellow who has a similar experience, but goes the opposite path. Yeah. So, um, this other kid gets visited by, um, for lack of a better term, a succubus, mm-hmm. a headless apparition, um, who plagues him at night. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Start seeing a, a no one believes him obviously because who would, right? Um, and start seeing a psychiatrist because of this, and the psychiatrist um, being Muslim. This kind of was weird to me. The psychiatrist was Muslim, mm-hmm. so couldn't do anything about it because this was in the realm of the Christian faith, right? So. <laughs> So, so the guy bel- totally believed what was going on at mm-hmm. some point, and knew that there's something you can do about it, but didn't do anything about it because it, it wasn't within the realm of of his belief system, right? Which kind of that just kind of that little detail kind of like nagged at me a little bit, right? Well. It- I would say my biggest criticism of this particular story, it is very heavy handed in terms of, in terms of faith. It is. And, and I, you know, I think that's just something that's going to happen occasionally in, mm-hmm. in dark fiction because it, it kind of crosses over into that realm. So some people, you know, some people, authors, um, have that deep of a of, of spiritual faith that it's going to bleed into their fiction and they're gonna get a little heavy handed like that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. The other criticism I would have is a little bit disjointed as it switches from the exorcist to the young man who is uh tormented by the demons and ended up ends up embracing serial. them. Yeah he's like becomes a serial killer rapist. Mm-hmm um, yeah, and and I would think <clears throat> you really have two different stories here, right? Um, you have the the story of uh, Michael, mm-hmm. who is the 
Oh no, I'm sorry. Kayvon Michael is the the one. Michael's the died the guy that died. I died right. Kayvon, who uh, becomes a spiritual healer, and then you have the story of the other guy who I can't remember his name is going to see Dr. Saladin and Saladin won't help him, but kind of passes him off to uh Kayvon who like does some cursory. Right, well, Kayvon, he gives the doctor gives K um, his gives, patient Kayvon's number. Right. And, and says, the, call the, this guy, this guy can, knows what to do. And he doesn't really bother doing it. Right. Well, he I, never, the guy never calls him until right. later. Right. Until he's totally within the grips of uh, of the succubus, right? And now you're getting kind of getting into spoilers Ethan. of the end. Ethan, that's Ethan. The it should have been two separate stories that were that could have been related, mm-hmm. just like structurally, because once um, once Kavon's help is rejected, and you're right, I don't want to spoil it. Um, he's out of the picture completely. Yeah, it just it could have been either integrated better or. Um, written as like uh, two stories meant to be side by side that balance each other out. Mm. It's a very short story, and yeah, but it was a cool concept, though. It was a very interesting concept. Uh, you know, I can't can't deny that. It also plays into very much a theme that we're seeing in all of the works today, and that is one of the topics we discussed when we were discussing uh, Ghosts of Old Edo and uh, the Palm Wine Drinkard, the spiritual realm essentially coexisting with the material realm that is not entirely separate, that this is stuff that happens every single day. Right. And, and the, the, the people who are quote in the know Mm -hmm. um, are, are, they see it all around them. They recognize it. And I guess the people who are not in the know, like uh, Dr. Saladin kind of, uh, well, maybe you could go and see this guy. Yeah, talk to the guy that's in the know. So he's only partially in the know. Right. Talk to the shaman. I've heard things. And you kind of get the you kind of get the feeling, well, he's a Muslim. And maybe this is maybe this is where it can make sense. He's a Muslim and it's not of his faith, but he hears of people that he doesn't want to have anything to do with. But right. they might and maybe he doesn't even believe it. Maybe he thinks that, you know, it's hocus pocus, smoke and mirrors, but sometimes you need that hocus pocus and that smoke and mirrors um, to kind of um, placebo it for you. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe that's where she was going with this. And maybe I'm just either like not bright enough to see that that's what she meant or may, maybe possibly, possibly, but there's also the aspect of the story where nothing else works, nothing but faith in Jesus. Right. Yeah. That's useful true. against this sort of thing. That's true, well. and and that that to me is what made it a little bit heavy handed. The the Muslim guy was completely useless, even though he believed in these sorts of things. The the gentleman Ethan's family, you know, were shamans by trade, and they were powerless in various you know Taoist charms and Buddhist rituals and things like this. All of it was completely powerless. The only thing that has any power in this particular universe is. Is, calling upon Jesus Christ. You know, it's it's kind of funny because they were Korean, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, there's a huge uh, Christian population in Korea, I mean, right? Like, for um, a, of any of like the the Asian countries that you that 
that you have contact with. Right. You know, Korea's got a lot of Christians in there. So it's mm-hmm. not it's not a far stretch to say that that they would at least be exposed to that and know somebody. A, very, a cool concept, in our opinion, a little bit lacking in the execution. Yeah, I, I think it like could have gone through maybe a, a, another round of editing or something just to like shore it up. Yeah, smooth it out a little bit because because yeah. it is a little slightly disjointed, but otherwise, right? Something something that really from from where it is now, something that could really go from good to fantastic. Uh, next up on the list is the monster by Crystal Connor. Now this is kind of the in, inversion of how to speak to the bogeyman because this is all about folkways. Oh yeah, yeah. And once again, it is the uh, the spiritual world, monsters, evil spirits, harmful things live out in the dark and foreboding places in the south. In the south, all and in the south. Hey, <laughs> you know, I just said that to, to rile you. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it's treated as very matter of fact, and and people who who are like that who have these types of folkways and superstitions and things like this. It is very matter of fact, you know, you know, a lot of people don't even realize that they do them. Right. And yeah. now like to me, this story was like, it was, it, it was kind of like reading, um, uh, ghost of old Edo mm-hmm. or Quaidan or something because the, it's a matter of fact tone in the story, but it's something that's alien to me. Right. I, I, I mean, I'll be the first to admit, I ain't no Southern guy. I, I know, I know almost nothing about like Southern culture uh, outside of like you know stereotypes. And you're not a big believer in, in in these sorts of things, anyway. No, that's true as well. But even though like this this kind of is a uh, close to home, crying out loud, the United States is the United States, right? Right. It's still alien to me. And it's it's alien to our main character, Malika, as well. Right. Well, she's also a northerner. Right. She's from uh, Seattle. Yeah, she's from Seattle. Well, that's where she lives currently. Right. Well, I think I think she... You get the feeling that, that if she was from the South, it was when she was very little, and she hadn't right. set foot there since. Right. So she she's fresh back. She's fresh back from uh, somewhere where there's a war, possibly Iraq, Afghanistan, something like that. She comes. She comes home. She's visiting her extended family in Alabama. She's she likes it, but she hates it at the same time. It's sticky. It's hot. It's Everyone sticky. Everyone is slow. Things take their own time. But what we have is, is, is one. She's she's experiencing this kind of culture shock. The climate's different. The people are different. Everything's so different here, and this superstition is such a big part of their lives that you know she finds a, a broom in her bedroom that's upside down that's meant there as a protective ward and and her her family freaks out when she brings it out of there because she thinks oh somebody just left the broom in here right yeah and and that's how what I would do when she decides to go home she's driving from Alabama to, to Washington yep a long drive that's right and I mean, that's like caddy corner across the across that's the- right that's right. I mean, Alabama to whew, Alabama is not basically a, as southeast as you can get without going into Florida, right? And Washington is just northeast, as northwest, you can get without, or northwest without going into Canada, right? 
And that's a that's a hell of a drive that she's about to engage in. But she's given a charm, a good luck charm, because, you know, it's like, hey, don't be caught in the woods after night. Don't stop for strange men and things like this. There are things out in the woods. Yeah, but the, don't get caught in the woods. She's given a specific name, a plat eye, hey. which I actually ended up looking up because. And what did you discover? I discovered that a plat eye is a an angry spirit from the uh, West Indies and, su- and Southern America that can shapeshift. Mm-hmm. And it's usually a, a vengeful spirit that won't rest until the cause of its death is taken care of. Right. Now, Malika is driving along. Uh, she gets some gas. Uh, it, it is, it's funny because the encounter with the fella at the gas station, you know, is like, hey, you forgot your charm. She left it accidentally, left it on the counter. She's like, oh, I don't need that. It's like, you, you <laughs> were given this for a reason. Yeah, when your king gives you gives you a charm, you keep that charm. That's right. And it's funny because you could totally see her like side eyeing the guy, probably going, ugh. Mm-hmm. And, and this story had a really it had a nice Twilight Zone kind of feel to it. Yeah, and and I think I think uh, Crystal Connor really captured. That I want to say disdain, but that aloofness that mm. we know we northerners feel towards y'all in the south. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think that, so. That, yeah. like, kind of smug yeah. superiority. Yeah, y'all, everybody's you know y'all backwards and yeah, exactly bumpkins and stuff like that. And and really, as you said, yeah, you, you don't know much about the south except for stereotypes. Right. And Maleka's very the same way. She she she's thinking of all these people as stereotypes as well. Yes, I definitely identified with with her. Now, I think one of the best parts of this of this story is where she's running through the woods and she finds the cabin in the woods. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you why because that reveal is it's it's hilarious. It it really is. It's um. It's funny, um, and then you're just kind of it, 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 it's so on par with what's been going on with her because mm-hmm. everything that happens after she loses that charm is just better to bad to worse, and it gets worse, right? But it's kind of reminiscent of uh, that story we read in um, in Edge of Sundown, mm-hmm. where, where they had a hole up in the cabin, right? Right, the little yeah. grass, the grass things. Mm-hmm. It has that it has that element to it, and then you have the big, the big surprise, and then they turn out not acting the way you would expect. Yeah, well, you know when 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 uh, because they they're southern too, and right. they knew what the fuck was going on. I mean, and and it's funny because a lot of the shit that they end up saying, um, kind of says what we've been saying, only mm-hmm. in a braiding sort of way, because you know they're they're. They feel like they're the butt end of her disdain, mm-hmm. and and they let her know it. Oh yeah, they 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 didn't say it, but they just explicitly said it. Yeah. But then the reaction to what she did, you did what? Yeah. You should know better than that shit. I know, <laughs> and we can't we can't say why that's so fucking funny, but it's really fucking funny. It is. It is it is really well done. I. There were a few moments in this particular story that I just laughed out loud because yeah, 
I really liked Malika's family. Yeah, you really need that levity in a story like this because it really is brutal without mm-hmm. the the humor. Like, for example, the story actually starts off with um, her being chased through the woods. Mm-hmm. And then you get that little paragraph of, um, of you know, her. I'll, I'll just read it. With every breath she took, she inhaled fire. Both of her feet were swollen, cut, and bleeding. Pain exploded from her feet to her jaw with each step. Her hands, arms, and face were stretched and cut. The pain in her side was so intense, she might as well have been pierced by the spear of destiny. The trees blocked out the light of the moon. It was so dark, she couldn't see the tips of her fingers on her outstretched arms. She just returned home from the war and was in excellent physical condition. Otherwise, she would have been caught two miles ago. She kept running. She ran faster. And then it stops. And she it's like... Yeah. For earlier. Right. Three days. Earlier that day. Right. Sort of thing. So... And then this paragraph is repeated again in context. Right. And so it, it, it jolts you in the beginning. And then when you come up on, come up to it again in the text, you're like, oh, wow. Well, that really sucks. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah, that was The Monster by uh, Crystal Connor. Third story on the list is Taste the Taint, a cursed story yes. by Kai Leakes. This is an odd little tale. <laughs> um, <laughs> this story was really psychedelic. Yeah, it had it had kind of a psychedelic feel to it. It also really kept things mundane for a major part of the story. Yeah, but like with like little leaks, I guess of of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's hard to talk about without giving away. Yeah, ending. but what you what you have is um this this guy Kendrick Anderson, uh, who is just an ambitious motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Um, he works for um an ins- not an insurance um uh, you know a, an investment banker, right? Right. And uh, he he basically his job is to defraud people legally. Right. So I mean he's a douchebag. Yeah, he is. He is one of those uh, both the Wall Street kind of motherfuckers. Yeah, that that people love to hate. Right. And, and as you're as you're reading through the story, yeah, you you love to hate this guy. Right. Uh, he's smarmy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's debonair. Right. He's he's a lecher. But he is he's a he's a motherfucker. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is tasked with um, throwing a bachelor party. For his best friend, who is a lawyer, right, and they've been best buds since their uh, their their uh, college days when they were mm-hmm. in the same fraternity, and uh, and uh, he had he had basically introduced his best friend to his fiance. Jessica. Right. Now, now let's let's back it up a little bit and and say that our main character Kendrick, yeah, is. His aspiration is not to be Saruman or or the king or anything like that. He's he is perfect. Yeah, he's perfectly happy being Grima Wormtongue, and because he feels that that's where you know the power behind the throne. Right. It's you know knowing just just the fact that he knows that 
you know, this guy is going to be sitting here in this big chair as the CEO or really wealthy, and he's going to end up owing him a favor. He's like the Steve Bannon of, of uh, wow, yeah. yeah. But uh, it turns out that we're trying not to spoil it because the twist on it is really good. Yeah, but but like he throughout the whole story, he has these like real psychedelic episodes, mm-hmm. and it is he's in the dark of what's really going on. Well, he's kind of in the dark about what's really going on, but he knows what's really going on, right? And 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 he's in the dark, but every once in a while, he gets a flash of what is actually happening, mm-hmm. and and, it, and as he gets these these flashes. Of, of stuff, I guess he comes to understand because it all comes together in the end right. of what is really going on. And I think he's kind of fed bits and pieces right. of, uh, of reality. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the best way to put it. But essentially, Kendrick is a bad guy. He knows he's a bad guy. Yeah. He, he enjoys being the bad guy. Yes, he does. It's just that what he's actually doing is not what he thinks he was doing until he realizes that, yes, it was what he wanted to do. Can't explain it further than that without giving it away. That's right. But this, (laughs) this story actually might be, might be the, the best in this group. Um, I'll reserve that for, for later. Okay. But But I, I, you know, yeah, I just really liked it. I liked how the character is, so slimy and, and, and really you're just kind of along for the ride. You're not there to root for anybody. You're not there to feel sympathy really there's, for there's no one to root for. Right. There, there are no heroes in this story. The, the thing that is really cool about this story, I guess, is you start off with um, an unreliable narrator that masks as a reliable narrator. Mm-hmm. And as the story progresses, you the the his reliability just kind of ebbs and flows until finally um he becomes an unreliable narrator who's really a reliable narrator if that makes any sense so it kind of inverts itself mm-hmm. at the end yeah still very well done i guess that's a twist that's what a twist does mm-hmm Next is Cheaters by Tish Jackson. This is the story I recommended to Wes. Yeah, this this one's a little odd. Um, you know, it it starts out. It's got that classic kind of weird tale where the the main character is in a mental hospital, and then we she starts telling us us the reader right the story of what happened why she's there right it's 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 a testimonial Mm -hmm. it's like the statement of randolph carter right and it it starts off you know even though you know something terrible happens and you know she keeps saying that it's her fault right you're not necessarily certain about that because it's the narrative starts off almost almost as this romantic comedy right because she's being interviewed by um her shrink um, who's saying, well, don't you want to get better? Don't you want to have your old job back? And you, you figure that, oh, well, whatever happened couldn't have been that bad. Right. You want your old job back. You want your old life back. Right. Because, you know, 
people who do really bad shit don't get their old job back or their right. old life back. And and that particular that particular moment, that opening paragraph where she's addressing us, the reader, um, kind of starts off with an indictment of the very sorts of people we read about in uh, How to Speak to the Bogeyman. Right. You know, faith healers and whatnot. She just essentially calls them a crock of shit. Right. And which is which is interesting how how that plays into the the this weird, interesting interplay of themes and narrative throughout this section of the book. Right. And, and she specifically singles out Jerry Falwell. Mm-hmm. Um, from, Wouldn't you? Well, yeah. Well, probably because Jerry Falwell is an obvious um, fake. Right. I mean, he's like a charlatan and everyone, even I think even the people who buy into his shit know he's a charlatan. I think right. it's just. They know that, it's snake oil, but. But it's the only snake oil they got. Right. So so we were following along. And really, this one, the way it's set up is that you can't talk about what happens to this character without spoiling the ending. Because you don't get that part of it until the end. Right. But, but I mean, in general, it's her, it's like you said, it's almost a romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's about uh, uh, basically a, a relationship she had. The overall narrative is about a relationship that she had. Um, and then there's a supernatural twist that we come to find out is something that occurs whenever she feels she is being mistreated by, by the men in her life. Yeah. Happens it's happened before. And the reason and she enjoys it. So so we kind of carry over from Kendrick in Taste the Taint into this story. So you have these horrible things that happen in the in the character. You know, almost is yeah, I I I'm scared of this, but I really like it. Yeah, so but her um, the narrator for this, I, Crystal, is it Crystal? No, I think Crystal is the next story. Oh, you're right. Um, the narrator in this, who might actually never have been named, um, she she's a likable girl. Oh, yeah. Uh, she's not an evil person. I think it's more... She's very um, normal. Yeah, I think it's more of a of like an addiction kind of thing where you have an actual, you know, uh, issue mm-hmm. that affects a big portion of your life, but it doesn't make you specifically aren't a bad person. You're just a person that has an issue that makes you do bad things. Right. And that when these bad things are happening, right. Which is even, really like it, but which is even worse in a way because you're not a bad person and people like you and they hang out with you and then they get fucked because they hang out with you. Exactly. And, and, you know, because, because your jealous side or whatever takes over or something doesn't work out right. Or, but generally speaking, she is never really to blame in any of the situations that she describes. No, she's not. She, she doesn't go into things maliciously thinking I'm going to unleash this. Right. You know, that's not her end game. It just Right. And 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 the situations that end up where she unleashes because because the supernatural phenomena is centered on her and 
she causes things to happen. Right. She's never she's she's never the instigator of any of this. It's always, you know, the the story is called Cheaters. Right. So it's all about, you know, guys who cheat on her, who lie to her and and how you know, she really finds herself kind of drawn to these people knowing that the situation is going to be like this and she knows what's going to how it's going to end up. Right. And and that's the thing is like she she knows what kind of person she's attracted to. Right. And uh, unfortunately, the kind of person she's attracted to isn't necessarily the one that is going to give her what she really wants, which is not being cheated on that stable relationship. Right. So, uh, you know, you might want to date the bad boys, but you got to pay the consequences of dating the bad boys. Uh, right. Unfortunately for her, they also pay those consequences. Right. Exactly. In in spades. Right. Not that that they don't deserve something, but no. now you got you got to read it. Yeah. Now tell me tell me why you recommended this specifically to Wes. Oh, I can't without spoiling. it. Oh, you can't without spoiling it. Okay. <laughs> so now you know. Now I know. <laughs> and we can't really tell why why we both kind of get it get that on a wavelength. Without spoiling it either. Right. But for those of you who listen to our gaming sessions, Mm -hmm. probably have an inkling of what we're talking about. Right. (laughs) And we're talking about Wesley. Yeah. So there you go. So if you listen to the gaming and you know Wesley, you can pretty much figure out where we're going here. Right. Without spoiling the story. However, you really should read this story. And listen to the gaming. And listen to the game. (laughs) But that's, we're not talking about that today. We're talking about this book. Cassandra. Her name is Cassandra. Cassandra. Okay. Yeah, so that's a really, really interesting tale by uh, Tish Jackson. Uh, last on the list is Kim by Nicole D. Sconiers. Yes. Is that correct? Sconiers, Sonyers. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that C would be silent or not. My note on this is... A hip hop ghost story. I like this story. Yeah. Okay. This was I can, the one that I thought was the the best of the of the five. Okay, I can give you that because yeah, I was I was really, you know, I liked Taste of Taint, but yeah, this one really got to me as well. So I, you know, I would at least give it a tie. But yeah, I can see where you're coming from on this. And this this had like that that old school ghost story vibe. It was like a combination of uh, Stephen King with a little bit of uh, pre-horribleness Bill Cosby thrown mm-hmm. in there. Like old, old, like Fat Albert era Bill Cosby. Right. Um, with a little bit of hairspray. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it was just a really cool story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, basically, this is 1982. Uh, we have a, a, a group of young women uh, in – this one also takes place in the south, if I recall. No, this right. one's in a, oh. a, a suburb of Philly. Oh, suburbs. I'm sorry. This takes place in the north, my friend. Sorry, I was going to give this one to Atlanta. It's always sunny. Sorry, Atlians. This one's ours. <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've been to rural Pennsylvania, and it might as well be Kentucky, so – Right now, okay. So we have Philadelphia, 1982. 
Sugar Hill Gang, Rapper's Delight, blowing up on the radio. The hip hop thing is really starting to catch on as, yep. as a craze. Uh, we have a group of young women who just by hanging out and doing summer kid stuff, realize that, Hey, we can do this too. Right. And so. they're, they're gearing up trying to become a, a, a rap crew. group. Yeah. A crew. Well, I'm, and, and they, they have their rhymes and they're at the point where they've been invited to play like a block party. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they've got a little bit of notoriety to that. Right. And one day while they're practicing and they're doing their thing, uh, there is a mysterious white girl shows up. Yeah. I think the the thing that I got, I have to do this. It's mm-hmm. in my contract to read this paragraph. Okay. From Kim. The girl looked up as we approached and I noticed her eyes. They were the same blue as her dress. Bottomless. The way I imagined manholes to be when you slid away the cover, you descended that airless playground of shadows and knew when you emerged, if you emerged, you'd never be the same. And it's true. Yeah. Now that is some freaky shit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. And what this, we can't, we got, we kind of have to like spoil a little bit on this one. Kim is not Kim. Kim is what's her what's her real name? Um, shoot. Ah. Starts with an M. Uh, Madeline. Madeline. Yeah, she yeah. is Madeline, and she. And she if she, that is her real name, we right. don't know. Well, she's a reoccurring. Um, phantom mm-hmm. that comes up once every 30 years. Right. She has this, so she has this almost kind of urban legend thing kind of going on right. as well as being this, this ghost. So you've got all of these elements coming together. Plus we're talking about kids in the eighties. So you've also got this like Goonies thing going on. Yeah. I mean, it's like every, with the popularity of, um, Stranger Things. Stranger Things and It just mm-hmm. recently got remade. I mean, it's got like that kind of vibe to it. Right. Right. That that childhood innocence. Right. And, uh, a coming of age horror story, I guess. Yeah. But this one goes a little bit further because, and I, I am going to say this, that the uh, Kim is a rhythm vampire. Mm-hmm. So her, her deal is she doesn't like suck your soul or suck your blood. She steals your rhythm. She sucks your sweet dance moves. Yeah, literally. And it's it's a nice way to kind of um, talk about how uh, things that get popular in, in the overall culture and white culture, like rock and roll mm-hmm. uh, specifically, uh, are have their roots in African-American arts and culture and how, you know, it's been ripped off. Right. She's almost the, uh, the ghost of cultural appropriation (laughs) past. The Elvis. (laughs) (laughs) Dis Elvis. Yeah. So 
Well, I mean, that's the vibe you get. And, and she talks about it a little bit with a uh, bandstand, mm-hmm. um, which is why I mentioned hairspray. Right. Um, where, you know, the uh, bandstand didn't allow black people right. um, on the show, but the, the performers would steal the moves. Um, from- right. The dancers, the dancers would steal the moves from the local, local African-American youth and they would have, African-American performers on stage, rock and roll singers, you know, the early, I guess, early Motown guys would all be there performing and the kids, the white kids would be dancing it up and they would be pretending, essentially pretending that, Hey, I, yeah, I came up with these sweet dance moves myself when they were actually, you know, going to a different neighborhood and getting the other kids to teach them. Right. And, and that's a reoccurring theme in, mm-hmm. in American popular culture and music, um, you know, like I mentioned, rock and roll is like mm-hmm. that. But uh, look at things like, um, like in the nineties, funk. Yep. Um, you know, yeah, everybody knew who Parliament was because, you know, that was, that was, um, everyone was talking about George Clinton and everybody stole from parliament. So you had the chili peppers and suicidal tendencies. You had all these fucking lame ass. We used to call it white boy funk bands. Right. Um, that just took everything that they took the rhythms, but they couldn't get like the feel of it. Right. So it just sounded empty. And and it was also propelled into public consciousness because you had guys like Dr. Dre, sampling a lot of parliament funkadelic into their their own hip-hop tracks yeah, that's that's true as well but i mean go deeper than that and and you know i could name at the time i could name a shitload of parliament songs name mm-hmm. five james brown songs name name five ohio player songs you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. that and but i could name a shitload of red hot chili pepper songs that's for sure right so, I mean, that's not the only thing, but I mean, that is definitely, you know, a, a concern mm-hmm. that, um, and shit, look at Led Zeppelin, right? Led Zeppelin just got, I mean, they just got successfully sued by the estates of, um, a, a number of blues artists from America, like Led Belly, um, because they blatantly ripped off, um, their licks and their songs um, especially on their first two albums, mm-hmm. which are, don't get me wrong, they're great albums, but they didn't credit any of those musicians. They do now. Now they have to. Right. But none of them were, were credited to begin with. So, I mean, Led Zeppelin is arguably um, the greatest rock and roll band ever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the whole the greatest rock and roll band to uh, not actually play their own music. Well, I mean, they played their own instruments and they did play their own music eventually, but, you know, they started out. And I'm sure the Yardbirds, which was, you know, Zeppelin before Zeppelin, mm-hmm. did did it as well. Um, I will say at least the Who, when they covered a song, they let you know who wrote it. Mm-hmm. So with that, we get back to talking about Kim. <laughs> <laughs> Steve's music rant part 38. But no, but, but seriously, it it is a big issue. 
and you know we take it for granted that you have you have like rock and roll and whatever and it's kind of swept under the rug that really its roots are in in black culture mm-hmm. it's true so to me to me and this is one of the reasons why i thought this was the best of the five was because it does address this um directly and indirectly and kim definitely is that that cultural appropriation oh yeah definitely because she she comes in and she literally steals your soul soul in the james brown sort of way right not not explicitly in the judeo-christian sort of way right and and it's great because she comes she comes off she starts out as a mennonite she's dressed as a mennonite girl Mm -hmm. and then eventually she's wearing like uh she's wearing the uniform of the street right she's a b-girl which is which is great and we can't spoil it because you know it's right because you got to read a recent book got to read it for yourself got to get that impact but there is a confrontation yes and it's really cool it it goes down really well um well i really really like this story Mm -hmm. the home run hit of the of this section very well done as a ghost story uh not necessarily not like dark and foreboding and haunting there's there's still that kind of playful innocence to it yeah it's 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 like a like I was saying, it's got like that Stephen King, early Stephen King vibe where it gets dark, but there's that, that's there's because it's involving children, mm. I guess you still have that hope that you didn't, you don't get with something that, you know, like a later King story or in other ghost stories where you don't have that because, you know, you're, you're, you have adults. Mm hmm. And, you know, we're all fucked up. We've lost all hope after we hit puberty. <laughs> the ennui. <laughs> uh, yeah, see, you lit a cigarette, now you're in a dark room. You <laughs> was a fucking beret and a baguette, and you were ready to go. I die a little every day. That wraps it up for this section. I, I Honestly, I thought I didn't like it overall as much as the beginning Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe because we did get a little bit into the whole uh, Judeo-Christian milieu, and that's just not my bag. But I will say that so far, Kim has been my favorite story in the book. So I will say, and we didn't mention this last week, so we'll mention it this time. This anthology is up for a an award at the Bram Stoker Awards. Oh, nice. So it is up for uh, Best Anthology. If you're listening, you're a Horror Writers Association member, voting member. We're going to go ahead and go out on a limb and lobby for this book. Go ahead, vote for it for best anthologies. It's Sycorax's Daughters. Uh, all, if you're not a Horror Writer Association voting member, just a random yutz like me who likes to read books, go out and pick this up. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. Good book. So next time we'll pick it back up with uh, part three of our read through of Sycorax's Daughters, and we'll see you next time. Yeah, keep their luck. Going.